This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You're listening to episode 17 of the in-between podcast where you'll hear conversations on marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Well, today we're going to be talking about money. Oh, our favorite topic, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) And we have a fascinating interview. We are going to be interviewing Art Rayner, who is the author of the Marriage Challenge, as well as The Money Challenge, Raising Dad, Simple Life, and The Minister's Salary. So he serves as the Vice President at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is the co-founder of Rainer Publishing. Him and his wife and their three sons live in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Fantastic. Now, I know you said we are doing the interview, but just to give you a heads up, um, I'm actually not in this interview because... Uh, I was actually in the hospital with yeah. Macarios at this time. Yeah, you guys were just, it was what, the second day at the hospital? I think so, yep. And I was at home needing to pick up the girls. And so this interview was, I think, an hour before the girls got home. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the interview done and then picked the girls up and went to the hospitals to see you and Macarios. So I'm really sad that I'm not a part of this because I um, we read the book and it was absolutely phenomenal and I had so many questions to yeah, ask. Yeah, you were the one that wrote the questions. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was so good and just wanting him to be able to share his wisdom um, with you guys and with us. So uh, I'm glad that the interview still happened, though. Yeah, you are going to love this. Just a few highlights. He talks about the number one predictor of divorce through research is actually arguments about finances. Really? Yeah. So he talks through that research and really articulates how money doesn't have to be a divider in your marriage. I love that. I Mm -hmm. feel like that is a huge point right there. (laughs) Yeah. And if you are single and not married, he offers fantastic advice for you. We actually asked a question for you specifically on money and what that looks like for you and and what what it would look like for you to continue to prepare that way. So if you're not married, this uh, is going to be a fascinating episode and you're still going to enjoy it. Right. And he also addresses those who are dating. Um, I know that can be a little bit of a sticky issue, right? A sticky oh, topic yeah. about like, how do you how do you talk about that? But he uh, goes into the importance of having those conversations. All right. Well, here's the interview. Well, thank you, Art, for being on the podcast with Christina and I. Art is the author of The Money Challenge and the forthcoming Marriage Challenge. Thanks, Art, for being on with us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, let's get going. Uh, The first question we have is, what inspired you to write this book specifically geared toward married couples? Because I've read your other book, and it was, I mean, it was very convicting and challenging at the same time. Uh, I remember interviewing you for our 5LQ podcast, and I think I, I mentioned how much I hated the book. But I, but I like hated, loved it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like it was, it was so good. I needed to read it, but it I was, was hoping, also. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that you would, you would clarify that that statement. I do remember you saying that you yeah. hated the book, the start of the podcast. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where this is going. No, um, but clarified. 
Yeah. So, so as I read through this book, uh, and that's, and when is it, when is it going to be released? Do you know the date? Yeah, it's going to be released uh, th- this, this summer. So the specific date, um, it, it's not been solidified yet, but probably around June one. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, so what inspired you to write one specifically toward married couples? Well, we see the the statistics and the reports that come out all the time about the the relationship between marriage and money. And to um, put it plainly, it's just not good. Mm. Uh, finances in marriage tend to cause a lot of a lot of arguments, a lot of controversy. In fact, um, the number one predictor of divorce, according to, to actually a few studies now, is arguments about finances. Wow. And so it's, it seems to be this, this massive divider mm. that, um, that, that happens in, in marriage. And, and I've talked to couples, not only that are, that are married, but are, that are going to be married. And just right from the get, you can tell it's a very, um, emotionally driven conversation that, that happens even between couples that haven't even started their, their, their journey together as a, as a married couple. And so, um, I, you know, it just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Uh, I've been, um, obviously talking and studying about money for, for, for a while now, and it doesn't have, to, I'm convinced that, that money does not have to be a, a divider, um, that it can actually be something that can draw couples together when it's viewed in its appropriate context. Yeah. I, man, I can't believe that's the number one predictor. I mean, I would think that it would be you know, infidelity or, or pornography or, you know, you know, lack of time spending. I mean, just that's, that's crazy. It's consistently reported as one of the um, biggest problems in our marriages today. Yeah. And this just study after study after study shows that there's something going on there. There's something going on that when you bring when you collide money and in marriage together, when those two things collide, yeah, that it's usually sometimes pretty catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. So, so how are you hoping this book will help others then? Well, I'm I'm hoping that um, it will not be viewed as a as a divider. Yeah. But we'll learn as married couples how to actually use money to to bring us together. How how money can actually help. Um, help solidify the oneness that should exist in, in, in marriages and can also bring a greater purpose to, um, to, to our finances and then maybe even to, to our marriage. So it's, it's a, it's a piece that can actually draw us together as yeah. a, as a, when we can get on the same page, when we can get excited about what we're doing and where we're going with our money, what the purpose is for, for, for our money, um, that it can, it no longer divides, but actually unites us mm. as, as married couples. Hmm, I love that. Love that. Rather than dividing, uniting. So we're going to get into, uh, I love how you talk about the four money personalities, the strengths and weaknesses for each of them. I know our listeners are going to love, I guess, maybe trying to self-identify where they're at. Uh, but before we get there, you mentioned in your book about God's design for money and the reason we should pursue financial health. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Yeah. So let me first talk about the the of financial health. I want to make sure we put it in its place. Often we view financial health as a as an end. Like if we get if we're financially healthy, then everything will be okay. But we know that that's actually not the case because we know uh, we we have couples that that we know we have friends that we know that would we would classify as financially healthy people, 
but yet they're still miserable. They're still arguing. They're still, they're just unhappy. So financial health is not an end in and of itself. And in the, the marriage challenge, I absolutely do spend um, quite a bit of time talking about how to just practical steps that any, any couple can, can follow to get financially healthy, but not simply for the sake of financial health. There's a greater purpose, mm-hmm. uh, purpose at, at play. There was a study done by a a professor named Elizabeth Dunn. And actually, she's done several studies about the relationship between money and and happiness. And one of the ones that stands out to me was that um, her her research team gave um, a a few adults um, envelopes that had money in it. And some of the the envelopes had $5 in it. The other um, envelopes had $20 in it. And when they opened up the envelope, there there was a set of instructions that um, that they were to to follow, and they were they were simply it was one of two two sets of instructions. One one set of instructions said, "Use this money on yourself. Pay for a cup of coffee for for yourself. Uh, use it for for a bill. Um, use this money however you want, but just make sure you use it on yourself." The other set of instructions said the complete opposite: use the money for something other than yourself, for something bigger than yourself, Mm. help out somebody in need, buy somebody else a cup of cup of coffee, pay for somebody else's bill that they that they may may have. Just you don't use it on yourself. Now, earlier in the day, they uh, filled out a survey that essentially reported their level of of, of happiness. Mm. And then later that afternoon, after they have done whatever task they were they were told told to do, whether spend it on themselves or spend it on somebody else, they then rated their level of happiness again. And across the board, it showed that those who used the money on somebody else were significantly happier than those that used the money on, on themselves. Mm. Now, we, we experience this on a day-to-day basis. When we look back on how we use our money, I bet you I can guarantee that there's many times that there's probably purchases that you regret. That you're like, man, I wish I would not have bought that toaster or whatever, whatever purchase you you did. There's (laughs) that additional appliance. (laughs) That that's right. That's right. I didn't really need that. I wish I wouldn't have bought that. But when you look back on a time when you use the money for something other than yourself, when you were actually generous with your resources, you rarely regret that. We often regret past purchases. We rarely regret past generosity. Now, why is that? Well, God's wired us in in a certain way. He's wired us to to be generous, that we operate best when we are generous with our sources. He designed us not to be hoarders, but conduits through which his, his gen- generosity flows. And so that is, is, our, is our design. And in the Bible, when, when, you, when you read the Bible, it speaks to that. Um, it tells us that in, in Proverbs 3, 9, we're to, to um, give our first and our, and our, and our best. Um, consistently throughout Scripture, there's over over 2,000 verses on, uh, wow. in the Bible about money. Jesus talked about money actually more than any other topic. Wow. Um, it continually points to we're supposed to use our money not just for ourselves. I mean, we, we should. It's okay to buy things, but really, the ultimate purpose of our money is to is to use our money for the purpose of others. Really, really, the purpose of God to advance His His kingdom and to help others out and to tell them about and use our mind to tell them about his, uh, his, his love that he has for them. Hmm. We can shift the purpose of our, the way we view our finances, then, and what we can use them for, then we find greater satisfaction, greater contentment. Um, it's, it's more adventurous. It's just more exciting. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's how God has, has designed us. 
And uh, as married couples, we need to get closer to that. Yeah. And I, we'll find greater satisfaction as a couple with our with our finances. We'll probably have less fighting um, involved as well. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Thinking about that study and um, just just the way that God's kind of wired us financially in that way. Because you're right. I mean, I can I can think of times where, you know, I I, I wanted you know, I, I wanted some sort of new tech gadget, you know, I was like, you know, obsessing over thinking about it or researching a new car, or, or I mean, I guess we don't have any new cars, used car, new to us cars, and, right. and, and researching, okay, I want to do this, and you just kind of obsess over it until finally you make the purchase, and it's not satisfying. <laughs> no, it's not. No, because next week you look for something yeah. else. That's right. And it's, it's this vicious cycle that you can get on that you're constantly looking to, to new purchases for that that adrenaline rush, that that high. And then, of course, it's very short lived. Yeah. Um, the over and over again, uh, studies show that um, using money for something other than yourself leads to, to greater satisfaction with your with your money. Yeah. And and that's whether you're a believer or uh, not not a Christian. Um, but that's, once again, that's because that's how God has wired us as humans to, to operate. We can get closer to that yeah. and find greater satisfaction, greater contentment in the way that we use our, our, our financial resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, in previous episodes, Christina and I mentioned that we've been sponsoring kids with compassion, uh, international yep. for quite a bit and, um, probably about art, probably about a year ago, one of the kids that we sponsored for the last 10, 11 years, she graduated, went to college, graduated out of the program and it was like we had to write our goodbye letter to her and what was fascinating about it is because there were months where it was a stretch for us because we started sponsoring her when we were dating actually together uh in college and it was like we didn't really have much money but it was like you know we're gonna do this and i mean even to this day a year after we've last communicated with her i mean that money that we spent on her i mean yeah 30 35 bucks we didn't really feel it but the lasting impact has so much satisfaction not only for us but i mean just all the lives that she's going to then touch as a result and everybody can relate to a story like that mm. um and and we all have have those have those stories where we look back and we can say you know what I used that money on something else. I, I, I paid for somebody, somebody else's coffee in the Starbucks. Yeah. Line. Um, I paid for somebody else's toll behind me um, when, uh, when I was traveling on the highway. And, and you, you, don't, you don't regret those moments. Yeah, you don't. Right. That's good. That's good. So the, the next question is, is going to the, the four money personalities. So um, I, I know in the book you, you call them spender, saver, investor, and ignorer. Can you tease each of them out for us and, and, and share just the whole idea of the idea of the money, strength, uh, the money personalities and, and their strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. So we all have, uh, we all have our own story as it relates to, to money. We all have our own background. And uh, sometimes you could use the word baggage as it relates to, <laughs> yep. to, to, uh, to, to money. And it, that combined with our just natural personality um, develops these, these money personalities and it's how we view money, uh, where we find greatest satisfaction in the, in the use or what our preferences are and how, mm -hmm. we, how we use um, money. And I, I want to be clear from, from the get-go, there's not necessarily 
one best money personality. There's okay. some that seem to, to get more attention or more that they, they're talked about as, as if they're better, but they're not always. Um, each money personality has its strengths and yeah. its, its own weaknesses. And so the four money personalities are spender, saver, the investor, and then the ignore. Now let's, let's start with the spender. That's the one that typically gets the bad rap, right? That's the one that everybody says that bad personality. Letting it and rain. That, that's right. <laughs> and there, there, there's clearly some um, some weaknesses attached to to the spender, and those are those are pretty obvious. They don't hesitate to swipe their swipe the credit card, right? Yeah. They they spend first and ask questions later, and that's the downside. That's a that's a very clear downside. But for those spenders out there, let me um, let me talk about the the upside or the the strength that you have. You're typically the one who is um, tends to be actually a little more generous. Mm. You're you tend to be a little more free with your with your money and, and helping out others. You're also the one who's probably purchased the purchases the gifts in your in your family. You're the one if it's somebody's birthday. Um, you're the one that's going out and making sure that they receive a gift. You, you tend to be good with re- relationships. And so there are some some good strengths that come along with the spender. Now, we also have the saver. And that's the one that usually gets the the, the greatest applause. Like that's, that's, that's the one that everybody's like, that's who you should be. You should be the, the saver. And there's good reason for that. There's some, of course, some, some obvious strengths. You're the one who who wants to um, make sure you have enough money set aside for a a an emergency. So you have your your emergency fund set up. You're wanting to put aside money for for retirement. You're typically also the one who wants to pay down pay down debt because you know that by paying down debt, um, it allows you to be better prepared for future emergencies. And so. You, those are your those are the strengths that that everybody points to now. But here's here's the downside, and some of the spenders are going to love this. If you're a spender married to uh, to a saver, the downside of the saver is that you tend to be a little bit more um, well close fist fisted with your with your with your money. You're the one that if um, if you're going on a vacation, you prefer uh, staying in a tent or a really really cheap uh, cheap hotel. Um, as opposed to something that's maybe a more more appropriate that you can actually can uh, uh, afford. Yeah. Um, you're also the one that um, maybe isn't as as generous. It, it tends to money tends to be a security blanket for 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 you. And so there's some weaknesses there. Then we have the investor. Now the investor is the one that isn't afraid to take risk with their their money. The strength of this is that they tend to be the uh, they don't hesitate to invest, so they're not scared of the stock market. They consistently invest like you should okay. for retirement. We we um, I, I recommend fifteen percent um, of your gross paycheck um, going toward retirement. Mm. And is that the including invest- the four hundred one k contributions that you might be yeah. going, putting in? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that w- that would be your 401k, or if you work for a nonprofit, a 43b, or for the government, a 457. So, um, yes. So 15% of your gross income should be going toward retirement. That's just a good benchmark um, that's uh, that's out there. Of course, if you're closer to retirement, you, that actually may you may need to to up that if you don't have enough set aside for mm-hmm. for retirement. And and but, if you if you're you know those terms are a bit confusing, or or you you want to learn more about how. Art teases out that fifteen percent. Be sure to pick up a copy of of the Marriage Challenge uh, and or the Money Challenge because you do a good job kind of breaking that out and and making it 
tangible in terms of saying, hey, you don't have to get 15% tomorrow, but how you can move up to that and, and areas you can kind of put that in. So I yes, appreciate that's, that. That's absolutely right. And uh, those terms, a lot of times we get scared of, of money terms. And just to you know, the one, they're actually easier to understand than most people um uh, realize. And so the, the, the money, the money challenge and the marriage challenge mm. are written in a way that really anybody can understand these, these financial terms. But the, the investor is the one who isn't hesitant to, to do that at, at all, to set aside money for, for the future. That's their strength. Their, their weakness is that sometimes they get a little bit too aggressive with their, with their finances. Um, they, they take too many, um, risks with their, with, with, with their, with their money. So there's some natural strengths and weaknesses there. And then finally we have the ignore. Mm. And I was talking to a, uh, a gentleman the other day. He said, this is me. And they said, actually, this is me and my wife. We're both <laughs> ignorers. So, well, that's not necessarily good. Um, but the, the, the strength, uh, or let me start with the weakness. The weakness to the ignore is that, well, you're ignoring your financial picture. Like yeah. you, you could be swimming in a sea of debt. And you just keep your keep your head in the sand. You're like an ostrich, just mm-hmm. keeping your head in the sand, um, not necessarily wanting to deal with the reality that's right in front of you. That's the downside. The upside to to the ignore is that money usually isn't your main thing. Like money is like it's you know that it's important, but that's not the thing for you. So you're not driven by by money, and and so with married couples, usually what happens is that you typically don't you typically don't marry somebody that has the exact same money personality as okay. you. Usually okay. you have a saver and a spender or an ignorer and a uh, saver. there's some type of combination that that exists. Rarely do you have a couple that are on the same page for better or worse <laughs> with their uh, with their with their money money personalities and that creates conflict. Yeah. Why? Well, because you you view money differently. Um, you, um, you, you want to use money in, in different ways. And so that naturally creates some type of conflict within, within the marriage. I love that because when I see those, when I, when I read those terms and I, and I heard you kind of talking through the strengths, strengths and the weaknesses, immediately my head went to pop culture references and, you know, you know, like, right. all, you know how you could get like the MBTI or like the disc personality assessments. And it's like using right. the Lord of the Rings characters or Star <laughs> Wars characters. So I was thinking like Spender, the the image of my, and that came to my mind was like a rapper letting it rain. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> the saver, I was right. thinking of the Grinch, uh, the investor, uh, I was thinking, oh man, who was I thinking about? For the investor, for the ignorer, I was thinking of the roadrunner. Uh. <laughs> you know what? I should have talked to you actually before we did. Uh, we put together this book. I think we could have used some of those illustrations. <laughs> yeah, actually, the investor was the Bitcoin investor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. person who's obsessed about cryptocurrency and it's just right. going up and down, up and down. <laughs> That's right. But I'm sure that, mm. yeah, those are all kind of negative. <laughs> we, should have, we should have done this interview before the book was finished. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. 
Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Awesome. So, so okay, I going back to, you know, putting our serious hats on, uh, going back to the whole couple, you know, couples not marrying one another, that's the same. You're right, because Christina and I don't have the same uh, money personalities as we look at each other and, and how we've had to wrestle through and understand our role when it comes to the money and, and, you know, I'm thinking investing, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how do, how do we, how do we invest? How do we prepare? So even with, you know, life insurance and saving for our kids, I mean, my parents saved for my college education and that was a huge thing that helped out so much when I went to college. Right. So that was a big thing for us. It was like, hey, you know, we're saving for all of our kids and, and we're, you know, I'm trying to get that already. But when it comes to checking the budget, Christina's the one that's checking it every single day because she's the one buying the groceries. She's the one buying the presents. She's doing all that, but she's not doing it in a frivolous way. Like it's it's amazing. Christina and I should probably do an episode on this where we have a room upstairs, literally, of all of these birthday presents. And all of these presents that she'll buy, that she'll actually buy when they're on sale or when there's a good deal. And she'll just kind of say, so even when it comes to Christmas, she's starting Christmas shopping in like June. That's incredible. <laughs> Seriously. And so that we're not doing, we're not dropping all the money, you know, in one month, but we're spreading yeah. it out and just getting things ready. You know, well even, even when it comes to clothing, I mean, she's purchased clothes at consignment uh, for next year for our kids because if you buy it close to the season you can't you know it's all full price and all that stuff so so yeah i mean that's her personality but we've really had to wrestle through that and talk through it otherwise you know it it was conflict and and so what happens when you when you have that conversation about these different money personalities first you need to identify your own money personality Mm -hmm. and and then you need to talk about it as a as a as a couple so you what you'll probably find as you dig into these money personalities is that I mentioned before, there's something in your past that uh, maybe led you um, to this particular money personality. Yeah, maybe a, a saver because you watched your parents really struggle um, with, their, with their finances. And so you're constantly current, concerned about not having enough. You, you look at the depression air uh, ge- generation and how they're um, – <laughs> They seem to be almost across the board. If you know one of them, um, they're they're savers, yeah. right? They're very concerned that what happened in the in the Great Depression era will happen again, and so that had a dramatic impact on on them. And if you know that about them, then you have a sense of uh, of empathy toward mm-hmm. them, and you understand where they're coming from, and you can have a better conversation with them. They're not being savers and being incredibly frugal, just to do it just yeah. to uh, just because they're 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 just they just want to have a lot of money that's not the case at all they're concerned they're they're yeah. fearful that what happened will, will happen again and so my wife has her own money story your wife has her own money story. I have my own money story you have your own money. we yeah. all have these money stories that that combined with our just our natural personalities develop these money personalities and the more we can talk about it, the more we can recognize that in, in ourselves and the more we can uh, know our, our spouse's money personality, the better we can have just real substantive conversations and hopefully not necessarily arguments about how to, how to use money. Like I know my wife, 
I know that she has a greater concern about uh, a financial emergency than than I do. Now, I think that you should always have three to six months of finance of, of of your of your salary, of, or I'm sorry, of living expenses set aside. I think she should always have that. Now, on that range, I think there is some some flexibility. She's much more on the six month side uh, yeah. than than I am. She just has a greater concern than than I do. She has a I don't I don't, don't want to say that fear is the, the the right word, but I know that about her. Yeah. And because I know that about her, it helps me to have a have a better conversation with her. To not necessarily get upset with her. Um, when she's like, well, I think we should save more money. I'm like, oh, no, I don't, I don't, yeah. know, I don't think we have enough now. <laughs> I really want to go to the beach. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but it helps. It gives yeah. me empathy uh, to her. That she's not trying to, to be controlling or anything like that. It's just that her, she just has a different personality than, than I do as it, uh, as it relates to money. That's good. That's good. Now, uh, as, we, as we finish off this interview, we have a wide range of listeners that listen to the podcast. Um, on, on, on the one side, we have actually single individuals who um, we did an episode on dating. So, so we have some single uh, late teens, uh, early young adults, uh, you know, people who are dating here and there. So they're not engaged, they're not married yet. So, so why don't we start with that end? Uh, what kind of practical steps can our listeners take? Uh, can those who are single actually take to, to have a financially healthy and generous life? Someone who's single or, or maybe dating? Yeah. So for those who, who are single, um, you're, you're trying to get uh, yourself in a, in a, in a financially healthy place. You're not waiting until you get, get married to, to start thinking about finances. You should be thinking about finances right now, even with your retirement, you should be thinking about your retirement right now. Mm. Um, if you're, if you're young, if you're in your twenties, these are actually prime years to start setting aside money, even if it's a little bit of money, for retirement, because what will happen is that that little bit of money will eventually turn into a lot of money given a long period of time. There's this thing called compounding, and basically, I'm not, I won't go into all the math, but you're making money on top of your your, your money. And if you can just set aside a little bit, you can have a lot um, when you turn 65 or the retirement, uh, your, your typical retirement retirement age. So if you're single, you should be thinking about your financial health. Um, are you giving generously? Are you saving wisely? And are you living within your means? Are you living living appropriately? For those couples uh, that are for those who are engaged, mm-hmm. I do think that you should start having some some money conversations. Those money conversations, depending on where you are in your in in uh, well, if you're engaged, you're, you're obviously you're walking towards marriage, so you should have uh, conversations about not only your money personality. Which will help you in in your in your marriage um, later on on the road. If you know that going into it, like this is who I'm marrying, and this is how they how they view money, and that's important to, to know because now I can have a better conversation with them, and they know how I view money. But also, what what's out there? Um, what what type of debts are, are are out there? Because when you get married, your debts are going to become their debts, yeah. and their debts going to become your debts. And so, what you don't want to have happen is that you're you're on a on a honeymoon. And all of a sudden you say, oh, by the way, I have I have the thirty seven thousand dollars of student loan debt. Surprise. You know, <laughs> that's really not the time to, to do that. Yeah. And so you need to be on the same page right away. Uh, so start start going ahead and having those conversations, start putting things on on the table. Mm-hmm. Couples that are newly married. What I recommend uh, for them is start put, making sure you're putting your finances together. 
before you were married, it was my accounts and your accounts. When you get married, everything, you need to start focusing on oneness and bringing everything to, together. I'm a big proponent of joint accounts, making sure that both uh, couples are on the accounts, that they have access to to all the money that's that's out there. Now, I know that with a retirement account, you can't necessarily be on that account because they're individual retirement accounts. Okay. But make sure that person has access to it. Make sure they have the, uh, for the, the online uh, portal, make sure they have the, the username and the and, and, and the password. Make sure that everybody's just on, you're on the same page. You know what's out there. You know what spending is happening. You're 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 bringing everything together. Usually, that's the first step that uh, that newlyweds need to uh, to make there. Yeah, I really like that because I remember reading in your book um, about financial infidelity. Uh, and Let's... yeah, and, and let me just read uh, the little section of the book that I that I that popped out to me here financial infidelity lying about financial matters isn't rare in a Harris poll 42% of people said that they'd committed financial infidelity 75% said that financial deception hurt their relationship 20% of respondents in a study from SunTrust said that they had spent $500 or more without their spouse knowing 6% confessed to hiding accounts from their spouse. So I wholeheartedly agree with you, Art, in the sense of um, joining your accounts together, being fully transparent with one another, because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read it called financial infidelity, but you're right. That's totally what it is. It it absolutely happens. And that's why at the end of the book, I identified um, some money or uh, some, some marriage dividers, mm. because the reality is with all of these financial statistics that, that we, that we have these arguments, I, I think when we argue about money, it's, it's normally actually, it's, it's, it's a symptom of something else, something mm. else that's going on in the, in the marriage. When we talk about financial infidelity, that's not really a money issue. That's a yeah, trust right. issue. That's yeah, right. a, a selfishness issue. There's something else going on there that's just manifesting itself in our in our finances. Yeah, that's good. And so at the end of the book, I identified four of those marriage dividers and how to combat those. So it's poor one of the so I'll just walk through them real quick. Mm. It's communication, selfishness, distrust, and then unrealistic expectations. That those typically that uh, those underlying issues find their way into your finances, and then you start arguing about them, and you think you're arguing about money, but you're actually arguing about something more significant wow. that underlies those those money issues. Man, that's so good. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna if you go to the show notes and uh, you'll you'll get direct links to uh, the book, and but you yeah yeah you got to pick up the book, the marriage challenge, and also the money challenge. So let's uh, talk through our last two. Uh, groups, parents, and also approaching, you know, people who are empty nesters, retirees, uh, what kind of fi financial tips can you give them? So for, for parents, this is, I'm, I'm in this world right now. I have, I have three, three young boys and my best advice that I can give them is limit your social media <laughs> usage. And here, here's why. That's keeping, up, <laughs> keeping up with the Joneses is a, is a, is a, is a real thing, uh, right? Yeah. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others and in social media, we're constantly bombarded with the filtered um, lives and lifestyle of our friends. Um, it's and even beyond our even beyond our friends, and we begin to set um, unrealistic expectations for for ourselves and how we should be, uh, what experiences our kids should should be having, yeah. you know, how many times they should be going to to Disney each each year. 
I, I, I swear it's, it's amazing how many people now go to Disney and it's um, not that I have anything wrong with going to Disney World. You know, it's, it's, it's great, but it seems like people are going every single week and I'm like, man, well, my kid's only gone once. Yeah, I must yeah. be a bad parent. And then also with extracurricular activities yeah. and all these, seeing all these things that parents are doing for their children, they're all good, but you can start to think that maybe you're not a, a good parent. Maybe you're not providing enough for, wow. for your parent. Maybe wow. you're not setting your kid up for success. And in, in order for them to be successful, they need all these experiences. They need all of these, these, um, these extra things that, that are out there. And so, um, that, that's one that I've been, been recommending quite a bit is that to, to limit your, your social, social media, um, so that, um, your expectations stay, uh, within, within reason, because mm. even though mentally we know we're being, these are, they're filtered lifestyles and we have no idea even how much in debt is behind the choices that, that they're making, right. um, we, they can, it can affect us and it can affect our, our spending out of love, out of love for our kids. Like we, we want our kids, we want the best for our kids. And, and so we maybe make some poor financial choices, um, in order to, to combat those expectations that we're, that we're hit with. That's good. That's good. And how about those who are empty nesters, retirees? What could you share with them? So, one of so if you're an empty nester or um, a soon to be retiree, one of the pieces that you should be thinking about is 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 retirement. Hopefully, you've been setting aside um, money for for quite a while now, and that you you have so you have enough money uh, set set aside for retirement. One of the key pieces of retirement that's not discussed enough is the mortgage, though. Um, so let me encourage you to aggressively pursuing paying off your mortgage. Right now, your mortgage probably takes up about anywhere between 25 to 30% of your of your monthly income. When you retire, your income drops pretty significantly. And what happens then is that your your mortgage payment then becomes a greater percentage of your income. One of the best strategies you can do or one of the most strategic moves you can make for your retirement is to get rid of that mortgage. Mm. Make sure that you don't have any type of house payment um, so that it doesn't just just eliminate all of your your uh, the money that you have in come, coming out on a monthly basis. It's not talked about nearly, nearly enough as a as a strategy for retirement, but it is so critical for those who are able to get it, get rid of that mortgage for retirement. Man, they have a lot more. Uh, they have a lot more disposable cash. And of course. As I mentioned in the marriage challenge and in the uh, in, in the money money challenge as well, um, that allows you as a retiree to live with open hands more. You're not as hindered by your by by your finances, so that you can go and do as as God has called you to to go and do. Yeah. You can be generous. You, the, your, your last years um, here on this on this earth can be the most generous years of of your life. I love that. Love that. Generous with your time, with your talent, with your Absolutely. treasures. And man, I love that. Well, thank you, Art, for being on the podcast with us. Uh, can you please let our listeners know where they can find you and, and purchase your books? Absolutely. So my, my website is artrainer.com. That's A-R-T. And the last name is R-A-I-N-E-R. You can per go you can go purchase the book, of course, on, on Amazon, or uh, you can go to lifeway.com. 
and and purchase uh, the the marriage challenge. It's a financial guide for married couples. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Art. Uh, we'll have to get you in uh, on the podcast another time. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd love it. All right. So that was an absolutely phenomenal and very interesting discussion. Yeah. The guy is brilliant. He is. (laughs) And he makes it sound so simple. Right? So eloquent. Yeah. So Christina, you weren't in the interview. Mm -hmm. And I know as you were reading the book, there are several things that popped out to you. So why don't you share with our listeners some of the things that kind of stood out to you from the book? Well, one thing that I feel like was really interesting, but also not really talked about was uh, the fact that one of the big questions that you should be continuing to talk about with as an engaged couple or with your spouse is where do you want to live and where you should live. Hmm. And I know there's a lot of like, oh, well, let's kind of move somewhere that uh, matches our dreams or our goals or, you know, what we want to pursue. Um, but Art was saying in his book that really you need to practically think about it. Let's say your job uh, will make $65,000. Well, $65,000 a year is going to go much further in like Arkansas versus San Francisco. Mm. And so your cost of living uh, may go up, but your you know financial health may go down. Yeah. Yeah. Depending where you live. Yeah, and, and maybe one day you will live in San Francisco. Oh, maybe, I hope so. That'd and be maybe one day we'll live in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I would love right? that. But part of that is thinking, once again, in the sense of seasons. Mm-hmm. And also in the sense of, hey, what does it look like for you as a married couple? Are you going to pay off your mortgage or are you going to pay off your college debt? Mm. Are you going to Are you going to save... Uh, put more money into your 401k or in your retirement? Or are you going to put more money into the kids, uh, you know, registered educational savings plan, mm-hmm. right? For college, their, their kind of their college plan. So there are all these decisions that need to be made uh, as you look at the financial health of you guys as a couple. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to pick up the book as Art goes through these questions. He wrestles through that, as well as the whole idea of emergency funds. And I don't know if you caught that, if you remember our Money Hacks episode. Mm -hmm. We were talking about how we should have an emergency fund. That's really important. Um, But also the fact that we understand sometimes that money is tight. A lot of times money is tight. And so how, where do you start? And so we gave some ideas in that episode, but he also gives some ideas in his book. And uh, one of the things that I love so practical, he was saying is just sell stuff, sell some stuff that's in your house that's collecting dust, sell the clothes that are in the attic, sell the treadmill that, uh, you know, is sitting in your bedroom not being used. Yeah. well, (laughs) Which we have. Which we probably should. (laughs) But literally every year, Christina consigns our kids old clothes and that gives us a lot of money to buy new clothes. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't know if if you didn't do that. I, I know we would definitely be feeling the pinch, but because you do that, we then can put that money into extracurriculars and sports and, and all that stuff. And the so, house. And exactly. Renos exactly. and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Precisely. So before you go away, before we turn this off, 
I would love for you right now to go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and send us a rating and review. And the reason we're doing this is because if you listen to episode 16, we announced our big giveaway. And if you haven't yet listened to episode 16, do that. You, know, you just you just got to do it because we talk about StrengthsFinder and the big giveaways. We're giving away codes uh, for you to do the assessment. And also one winner will actually, a couple will receive codes for both uh, the and their spouse, as well as an hour of coaching, because this is something that I've done a lot with with a ton of people, and it's going to be a great way for you to to just grow your marriage and grow as a couple. So go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review, and then take a screenshot of that, and be sure to email that to us at inbetweenpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like the show notes to today's episode, including links to the book and to a little bit of the research that he referenced, be sure to go to inbetween.org backslash episode 17. But for episode 18, we are going to be... We are going to be talking about ways to explore your city without breaking the bank. So I think this is a perfect follow-up episode as we're talking about finances and ways to save money and to be wise with our money. But also, um, with the warmer weather coming, we're all thinking about summer and wanting to have fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes I feel like you know when with camps and all of that you're always spending 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 with your kids and so these are ways to still have fun and explore your city but without um cashing out yeah 100 <laughs> percent. so if you haven't yet subscribed it's free uh just open up the podcast app on your phone hit subscribe and you'll get next week's episode delivered right to you well, we'll see you next week This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.